0: We shall now turn to the chapter we read together, John's Gospel, chapter 3, and our text for the morning, for this morning, is verse 3. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see. The kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There are lots of people in today's churches who are sure that they're going to heaven, but they're going to end up in hell. What a massive surprise they're going to get. There are ministers, elders, church members, who feel sure that they're on the right side, that they're Christians. And they think that when they die, they'll open their eyes in heaven. But instead, they'll open their eyes in hell. Now I'm talking about people who are good living people. Who are upright people. Who are kind and moral and just and right. The best of neighbours. I'm talking about people who read their Bible regularly and say prayers regularly. They believe in Jesus. But when they die, they'll end up in the lake of fire. And that'll be a huge shock to them. And why will they end up in hell? Because they've never been born again. You can, you see, you can be such a good person, such an upright person, such a, a fine person in so many ways, such a religious person, such a good church person reading your Bible, saying your prayers and all the rest of it. But if you're not born again, you won't get to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. You must be born again. Are you born again? Are you sure you're born again? Now, there are Considerable numbers of people, too, who think they're born again. And they think everything's okay. They think they're born again, and they'll tell you that they're born again. But they'll end up in hell. Because they've never really been born again. And they were just thinking. They were just, as it were, pretending to themselves that they were born again but they hadn't actually been born again. Are you born again? Are you sure? Well, that's a subject I'd like us to deal with today. I'd like us to look first at the need to be born again. Now, here we have a man coming to Jesus, and he's the only person who came to Jesus privately. All other people who came to Jesus would come when he was out um, preaching to the crowds, or maybe in a home with lots of people around, but this man, he comes privately. He comes at night, and he comes at night because he's afraid. He doesn't want people to see him coming to Jesus. He's afraid of what people will say about him. He was actually a very important person. He was a member of the Great Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. The Sanhedrin was made up of 71 elders from Israel and they met daily in the temple. They were the supreme court of the Jews and they decided all kinds of judicial cases, important matters. So here's this man, very important man, member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus calls him a master of Israel or a teacher of Israel. Now the vast majority of the Sanhedrin were very hostile to Jesus. And you remember eventually how Jesus was condemned to die by the Sanhedrin. And they took him along to Pilate and they demanded of Pilate that he be put to death. There were only two people that we know of in that Sanhedrin who objected to the sentence. Two out of the 71 This man, Nicodemus, and another man called Joseph of Arimathea. The rest of them hated Jesus and wanted him crucified. So he comes to Jesus by night. It was hard for him to come, but he was obviously troubled. There was something bothering him. He was a Pharisee. A good loving person. <coughs> he knew his Bible. The Bible that they had at that time was just the Old Testament, but he knew it from Genesis to, Revel- to Malachi. He knew it all. <coughs> he knew it well. He knew the law. He believed the Bible. <coughs> he kept the commandments. <coughs> he lived very strictly. <coughs> good loving man blameless outwardly. He had been circumcised as a child at the age of eight eight days. (coughs) He took the Passover every year. He did everything that was required in the law of God. Highly respected. But he had a conscience. We all have a conscience. And his conscience sometimes troubled him. He knew he was a sinner. Does your conscience trouble you? Are you bothered about your sins? He knew that he thought things that he shouldn't think, said things he shouldn't say, did things he shouldn't do. There were other things that he should be doing that he didn't do, other things that he should be saying that he wasn't saying, and things that he should be thinking that he wasn't thinking. So he had a conscience which condemned him. It's a good thing to have a conscience. It's a good thing to be aware of your sin. To be troubled about your sin. But then he would go and worship in the temple. And he would offer the sacrifices there. And he kept the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement you confessed your sins. And you trusted in the sacrifices that were being offered. Which were pointing forward to Jesus Christ the great sacrifice. So he was performing all that the law required and yet there was an uneasiness. And then Jesus came on the scene. Notice what he says about Jesus. We know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus was different. Jesus could perform miracles. Sick people were healed. Deaf people could hear. Blind people could see. Lepers cleansed. Even the dead raised. No man can do these things that thou doest, except God be with him. It's not in the power of man to perform miracles. It's God alone who can do that. And then there was a different note in Jesus' teaching. <clears throat> you see the Pharisees, the scribes, they taught, you must be good, you must keep the law, you must keep the commandments. And they laid a lot of stress on that. Now Jesus taught these things too. But then Jesus associated sometimes with publicans. And sinners. And Jesus gave hope to big sinners. And the Pharisees had no hope for big sinners. If you're a big sinner, there's no hope for you. Because they saw salvation as a matter of being good. Being righteous in the sight of God. Try your best and if you're good enough then you'll get to heaven but if you've made a mess of your life there's no hope for you. But Jesus said there is hope for sinners because Jesus was the saviour of sinners. Jesus had the gospel in his preaching as well as the law and this troubled Nicodemus. The power of God which was with him, the miracles he was performing and the new note in his teaching. So he comes to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, You must be born again. Interesting how that comes out. He comes to Jesus and he says, We know you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And then Jesus, as it were, punches him on the nose, straight in his face. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was confused. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? What are you talking about? I've never heard about this before. I don't know what it means. How can I be born again? Nicodemus obviously wasn't born again. But what about you? Have you been born again? You must be born again, that's what Jesus says, and Jesus knows. Jesus is the judge. Jesus says you must be born again. So have you been born again? So we've looked at the need to be born again. Now what I want us to do is to look at what it is. What does it mean? To be born again. What is it to be born again? Jesus explains in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what is born of the flesh? You and I are flesh, sinful flesh. What we can do in and of ourselves is flesh. All we can produce is flesh. What we need is God to come down and do something for us. To be born of the spirit. To be born from above. We need power of God's Holy Spirit. We need God's intervention in our life. It's not something you and I can produce in and of ourselves. It's something only God can do. Think of the first birth, when you were born the first time. Did you have any say in it? Did you decide, I want to be born on such and such a day? No. No. You couldn't decide when you were born. You didn't decide to be born. All these things happened outside of you. And when it comes to the new birth, again, it's not something you can do. It's something outside of you. Only God can do it. Because every one of us, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, We're all by nature dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. As dead as a corpse in the cemetery. Can a dead person do anything? Can a dead person decide for Christ? Can a dead person take a step towards Christ? Can a dead person pray, really pray, do anything? What can a dead person do? Nothing. What we need in order to be saved is to be resurrected from the dead. We've got to rise out of the grave, as it were, our spiritually dead condition. And in order to do that, it needs something to happen from heaven. It needs the Holy Spirit to come into our life. We need God to do it. God must raise us from the dead. And that resurrection from the dead is the new birth. It's regeneration. It's a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation creation, a new creature. God does it. And only God can do it. God must come into our lives. Now, you get Armenian preachers and they say, you've got to make the decision. You've got to take the first step. You've got to decide for Jesus. Your heart is like It's got a door on it and the lock is on the inside and God, Christ can't come in unless you first open the door. So it all depends upon your free will. That's not the teaching of scripture. Jesus taught, you must be born again. Which comes first? Faith or the new birth? The Arminian says you believe in Jesus and when you believe in Jesus you're born again. So it all starts with you. But the truth is nothing is there of any spiritual value until you're born again. Faith follows the new birth. Repentance Follows the new birth. So the first thing is, we've got to be born again. We've got to have God coming into our hearts and our lives. Because by nature we're dead. Now Jesus illustrates this in verse 8. Marvel not, he said, that, ye, uh, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it desires, where it wishes. You hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it comes, where it goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The word wind and the word spirit is the same word in the Greek. Pneustos. The wind blows where it listeth. It touches one here and touches one there. The spirit blows where he desires. Touches this heart, they're born again. Passes by this other one, they're not born again. God's sovereignty, God freely chooses, touches one life and passes by another. That's the new birth. It's God doing it. It's God touching your heart. It's God bringing you to life. And it's God making you aware of your sin, convicting you of it, making you aware of Christ, convincing you of the way of salvation through Christ so that this massive change takes place. None can do it. A minister can't do it for you. Nobody can lead you to Christ in that sense any more than a person can lead a dead body to life so what is the new birth it's being born by the spirit of God, the mysterious supernatural resurrection of a soul we're born dead and we need to be Raised from the dead to be Christians. Well, that leads then to another question. What are the evidences of somebody being born again? What are the marks of the new birth? Are you born again? How do you know? What's the signs? What is it that distinguishes somebody who's not born again from somebody who is born again? Well, the first thing is that if you're born again, you're a new creature. If any ma- new interests, a new person, a new creature. You can't be born again and be the same old person. When you're born again, you're a new person. That's not a small change. It's radical. It's a mighty transformation. And then the person who's born again hates sinful pleasures. One time, yes. We wallowed in these things, we loved these things, we delighted in them, but we're born again. So we no longer delight in sinful worldly pleasures. We have died to sin and the power of sin has been broken in our lives. We're no longer slaves to the devil. Our master is dead. So we're new people. Paul once asked the question, Romans 6 verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we go on sinning because God is so gracious and God is so forgiving? And then he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You claim to be a Christian. You can't go on in sin. If you claim to be a Christian, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We've been changed. We're born again. And if you're a born again Christian, you can't go on merrily in sin. There's been a huge change. A hatred for sinful worldly pleasures. Another thing is light has come into your life. At one time, the Bible was a dull, uninteresting book. Well, there were stories there and they were okay, but you couldn't make an awful lot of it. But when you're born again, the Bible is full of light and interest, and it's exciting. And not just the stories, but the epistles too, and the prophecies. It's all interesting because now you understand it. Your eyes have been opened at one time. You couldn't understand, but now you do understand. It makes sense to you, and you delight in the scriptures. You love God's word, so that's a mark. Another mark is that, as a born-again person, you long to be holy. You you, you desire holiness. You you grieve over indwelling sin. Sinful desires and the corruption that's in us. You grieve over these things and you long to be holy. That's a mark of somebody who's born-again. You long to have a pure heart. You long to be godly. Further, you desire fellowship with God's people, with the church, people of God. They're the people you love now. They're the people you're interested in. You're excited about coming together to worship God. You enjoy coming. These things are important to you, very, very important. At one time, yes, out of a sense of duty, you went to church. and But now you, you go because you really want to be there. You delight in their fellowship. You delight in their company. It's a company you desire above all else. Another mark is that you're, you're hungering for the Word of God. You've got a hunger for the truth the word of God is food for your soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so you have this this love for the truth, food for your soul. You can't go on. You're not just reading God's word because you feel a sense of duty to do so. You're reading God's word because it's food for you. And you'd be starving without it. And you like to listen to sermons because It's feeding your soul. And you like to read good books because you've got a hunger for these things. Hungering for God's word. Another mark is desiring fellowship with God. Desiring to know God. To meet with God. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Whom to know is life eternal. You want to know God. Know Jesus Christ to have fellowship with him. Another mark is that you love God's people. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Loving God's people best people for you, the people you like to be with. You love God's people because you're born again. Another mark is that you have a conscience of sin. You're bothered about sin, your conscience is active and it condemns indwelling sin. The Pharisee is just concerned about what people think and what's on show. The born again Christian is troubled by the heart, pride and hypocrisy and lust. These things bother the born again Christian. That's a mark of being born again. And another mark of being born again is you delight in the cross. You love the wounds of Jesus, the nail-pierced hands and feet, and the spear-pierced side, and the face with the crown of thorns. You love Calvary, and you delight in the blood of Christ, because that's your hope, an appreciation for the cross another mark is compassion for the lost you're concerned about people who are on the way to hell you want to see them saved and you love to hear of one person being converted you delight in one soul saved, you're concerned for the lost that's a mark of the Christian and one other mark is your heart is set on heaven You desire to be there. I see some people, and it amazes me, as they're getting older still, so concerned about earthly things, about this world, about their houses and their cars and all these sort of things. But the true Christian is born again. Gradually, more and more, their heart lifts from this world these things don't matter it's heaven to be with Christ forever to me to live is Christ to die is gain to depart and to be with Christ is far better well there's evidences, marks of the new birth, do you have them? If you do, you're born again and rejoice in that. But if these things don't characterise you, now I know there. some of them are, are, are more easily seen than others, but to some extent these things must be true of us if we're born again, at least to some extent. And if they are, there's encouragement there. We're not dead in trespass and sins. We've been born again. Well finally, what are the implications of the new birth? First for the Christian and then for the person who's not born again. What's the implication of the new birth for the Christian? You believe you're born again? Act like somebody who's born again. Be a born-again Christian. Be different. You say you're born of the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. May the Spirit of God mightily work in you. Be concerned about that. So, be different from those who are not born again. Be godly. Be spiritual. Be holy. Be heavenly. Set your affections on those things that are above. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Set your desires on heaven and those things which are not heavenly trample down upon them. Those things which are sinful and sensual and worldly, crucify them. More and more as a Christian desire the things that are heavenly. And you say, the light of God has shone into your heart. Well, let your light so shine before men. Be a light. Be like a candle set upon a candlestick, that so the world might see your light. Be like a A torch, as it were, showing people the way through darkness. Be like a lighthouse, warning people of the rocks and pointing them into the harbour. Be spiritual, be holy, be heavenly, be a light, be an example to others. Be thankful, be thankful for the new birth. What a cause for thankfulness others bypassed, but God in his great mercy touched your life. What a wonder, what a cause for praising him, not just in this life, but throughout all eternity. Be thankful, be joyful, rejoice in the Lord always. So many people around us moaning and groaning, we've got Christ, we're born again. We've got the joy of the Lord in our hearts, our sins are forgiven, heaven is before us, Christ is with us. A great future. Be joyful, be spiritual, be heavenly. So you see, there are some then of the implications for the Christian. But what if today you're not born again? What can we say to somebody who's not born again? Sit back, do nothing, and wait until you are born again. Well, I remember my first congregation. There was somebody, and that was their view. If I tried to speak to him about a soul, he would say, Well, I'm not born again, nothing I can do. I'm just waiting. Waiting to see if I'll be born again. Well, you never see that said in Scripture. The Bible never says, stop and do nothing. The Bible always says, seek the Lord while he is to be found. Call upon him while he is near. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die? Repent and believe the gospel. Flee from the wrath to come. Come. We have it here later on in this very chapter. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Israelites in the wilderness and the desert, when they were bitten by the fiery serpents and were dying, they had that brass snake on a pole, and everyone who looked at the brass snake Would be healed. Look to Christ. Lift it up on the cross. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. And so to every one of you. Seek the Lord. Seek Jesus Christ. As your saviour. Call upon him whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved seek with all your heart and then when you seek you have this wonderful encouragement that's amazing that I've I've got an interest in seeking I've got a desire to seek where did that come from? I've been born again It's as we seek, as we repent and believe, how can we really know we're born again? Only as we believe in Jesus and trust in him and follow him and live out the Christian life, then we know, then we know we've been elected from all eternity because we haven't been left dead, careless and thoughtless in our sins. We have a concern. We have an interest. We want to be saved. If you want to be saved, take that as encouragement. Seek and you will find. Let's pray.